This is the Midrange Theory Podcast with your hosts, Tommy D and Ian Levy. On this episode, we talk about early surprises in the NBA, the ridiculousness of Russell Westbrook, and Chicago, not just a baseball town. So I was at Madison Square Garden uh, last night watching the Knicks uh, get absolutely uh, uh, dismantled by Mike D'Antoni and the Rockets. And the first time I've seen James Harden live, and I, I feel like um, I owe it to myself to hold myself accountable when I'm wrong about things, uh, certainly about players that I've seen for the first time live. I, I had this preconceived notion with Harden that, and I think it's somewhat true, you know, he does get the, the, the benefits of a uh, of a lot of calls just because he's crafty he knows how to get his you know his left arm into situations and you know look you know kind of flail his arms in the air that's I'm okay with that to a degree but when I watched him pass last night I was just blown away and when you look at what Harden and Russell Westbrook have done to this point as we're going to go talk about a bunch of the early returns here uh, early on in the season um, both of those players have been nothing short of phenomenal. Westbrook, in, in particular, uh, I've seen him live. I was just more blown away by Harden's passing, but Westbrook is, and both of them are just off to extraordinary starts. Yeah, they've been incredible to watch. We actually uh, had an interesting piece this morning on Harden up at the step back by Jared Dubin, uh, and he was there at the game last night too, talked to D'Antoni and Harden a little bit, and uh, D'Antoni talked about how uh, – like so Harden as a point guard functionally is no different than what he's done the past few years. I mean, he's always sort of been in charge of the offense. He's always been their primary ball handler. Um, but what D'Antoni said was that in the past they, they had this like charade where somebody else, you know, Patrick Beverly or somebody else brings the ball up court, you know, Harden runs around a screen and then catches the ball and then the offense begins. And so they are wasting, you know, six, seven seconds sort of setting up for, for Harden to attack when, uh, you know, just giving him the ball, letting him bring it up and just start quicker. Um, you know, they're not losing anything. They're just letting them sort of get into those sets quicker. He's orchestrating. They don't have to sort of, uh, you know, waste, you know, a handful of seconds as, as sort of a nod to somebody else as the starting point guard. What I noticed last night, and I, I got a chance to watch D'Antoni's offense at a lot. I, I obsessed over it, just watching it, and then you know, trying to get this understanding of, you know, is this the future? Can it be guarded? There are certain elements of it that cannot be guarded. Top pick and roll the way that they run it. If you have a, if you have a, a great passer and a guy on the roll who has incredible hands, which he, didn't cert- he did certainly in Phoenix with Amari Stoudemire and Nash, now he seems to have a capella is able to catch you know these kind of crafty slice bounce passes, spin bounce passes, and catch and finish. That's really the key to the offense. And then you add the layers around it, and you put the wings. Like Melo and Porzingis had no chance last night trying to guard perimeter and the roller to the basket in, in the pick and roll. Noah got lost. It, it's so unguardable if if it's if it's read right and executed right. And then you have Ryan Anderson, who's out shooting 25-foot three-pointers, and Eric Gordon all of a sudden figuring out spot-ups. You know, they've got a really good thing because of Harden's ability to get the ball to the roller and the, and the roller, whether it's Capella. I mean, Harrell was terrific last night, 17 points, you know, but, but spoon-fed perfectly in the same way that Nash would do it in, in, in Phoenix to Amari. And what Amari really was doing initially before the mellow trade with the Knicks with Ray Felton. 
Yeah, I mean, Harden, he uh, just an incredible grasp of geometry. You know, he gets uh, he gets criticized often for being not that fun to watch because in the past, a lot of his uh, geometry or his geometric expertise has been used for for drawing fouls. Um, but the way he sets people up, the way he moves defenders right where he wants them. Um, and and you know draws fouls create, creates openings for everybody else and and the the spot up shooting that they have this year just makes them so much more dangerous. Um, my I mean obviously they have concerns about defense. I mean that's what's going to be the limiting factor for them. Um, but I also have uh, a a unsubstantiated pet theory that. Um, the simplistic offenses uh, often struggle when it gets to the playoffs and you're, you're in a series where you're defending um, or you're playing the same team multiple times. Defense has a chance to adjust. Um, I think we saw that like with the Raptors uh, last year in the playoffs, Um, you know, what works in the regular season, you know, uh, as things get tighter, if if you don't have uh, sort of another layer of complexity. So um, that would be my one question mark with the Rockets is as the season goes on, do they, you know, can they evolve a plan B as good as their plan A is? Can they evolve some plan B's um, that they can use to sort of switch things up to? I've said, I said it a thousand times. I said exactly what you said a thousand times when D'Antoni coached the Knicks and when they were just getting into the playoffs, which is why I was a big proponent of the mellow trade because even at that time in the half court, you know, you really have to be able to have some bully ball. You have to be able to post up a little bit. D'Antoni's philosophy, and he showed it again last night for his offenses, is get out early, shoot threes more in the first quarter so that you can try to build off you know, a two-possession, three-possession lead. And sure enough, Rockets had a nine-point lead. Knicks were, the Knicks were playing okay offensively, but they had 15 points, including three hardened free throws uh, to, to really – that were just based off of – uh, stuff from the perimeter they made four threes and he made three free throws and that, that was 15 points right there which which is not always the most conducive strategy in the playoffs it's it's generally not that easy especially the further along you go yeah and there's there'll be some moments where they you know score so quickly the points come in bunches that it you know it takes the wind out of out of somebody's sails you know collapses the spirit of some you know uh lesser team that's not going to be a, a playoff team um during the regular season but once you get to the playoffs i think uh you know the effort level increases teams are not gonna you know sort of roll over the same way they would during the regular season so um i think they can be uh I think they can be terrific. I think there's a chance they could, uh, you know, be good enough to sort of sneak into that fourth seed in the West. Um, but yeah, it's going to take, I think, adding some offensive diversity and then really figuring out how they're going to stop other people. Um, I mean, that's the other question. It's fun watching Harden put up these absurd numbers, and he's, you know, obviously a questionable defender uh, regardless. But if he's putting this much effort into offense, um, you know, I, I don't know how you expect him to, to uh, you know, really, you know, kill himself at the other end of the floor, too. No, not going to happen, and and you know the, Beverly is not there as well. Um, they'll they'll get him back at some point, and and he he will help. Um, but I agree with you; it's going to take a lot to get them to be hosting a, a playoff series at home. Um, which, but listen, it's, it's a step in the right direction, and um, they'll try to build on uh, what they have th- to this point. We have to talk about Westbrook while we're talking about Harden and, and the West because 
I mean, what he's doing right now is just it's it is groundbreaking. It's breaking some some algorithms from from what I understand. And you can certainly speak to it 100 times more than I can. Um, But when I look at his numbers, even even the most basic of numbers and then what I kind of gravitate towards is the PIE is the the impact. Uh, My gosh, he is he's off to an extraordinary start. And, And knowing Westbrook and how hard he plays, it's not this cannot be sustained but that's not to say that he i mean he can't be pretty close to this level for the rest of the year yeah i think he probably some of this uh, uh early season you know they have not had the toughest schedule but he's been you know going full tilt um I, you know in part they want to start the season strong they want to sort of make a statement they want to um remind people that while everybody's attention is focused on the Warriors, that they're still pretty good. Um, so I think there's space for them to, you know, for him to dial back a little bit as they get further into the season, you know, play, play some slightly fewer minutes and they'll, um, they'll still be okay and, and able to, you know, have a healthy win loss record. I think their defense is going to be really good this year. Um, and in terms of the statistics, so PIE is is basically a cumulative statistic. It adds uh, adds together box score stats, and it looks at them as a percentage of the team's total. So he's going to be off the charts. I mean, I don't know what the records are for PIE, but it wouldn't surprise me if he had the best you know season ever by that measure. Just because he's it's a volume statistic, and he's going to um, you know he's going to contribute more to his team this year offensively maybe than than any player we can imagine just in terms of sheer volume. Um, but he's also uh, breaking some other statistics. We've been talking about this on the Nylon Calculus email thread, but. Uh, his box plus minus currently is over 20 and nobody, uh, nobody has ever played a season with at least 750 minutes, uh, and had a BPM over 13. That's the highest of all time. LeBron in 2008, 2009. Um, so BPM is a statistic that, uh, is built from box score stats and it, uh, estimates a player's net impact per hundred possessions. So the idea right now that as good as Russell Westbrook has been, the idea that he's uh, adding 20 points per hundred possessions to the Thunder it, it seems like a stretch, uh, you know, again, even as good as he's been. So this is one of those things where the volume of his statistics this year is going to be so high. Um, his usage is going to be so high. He's taking so many shots, so many assists, um, that a lot of these models are sort of not trained uh, to deal with these kinds of extreme outliers. And so we may see some, uh, you know, we may see some numbers that are, are eye-popping and absurd in terms of these all-in-one metrics. And some of them may be slightly overstating his value. Uh, it'll be interesting to sort of watch this year because, you know, this is a test case that these some of these models just haven't had before. I mean, we maybe have never seen somebody you know uh, with volume like this. Everything across the board just adds up to just ridiculous production. Uh, you wouldn't anticipate him to elevate his three point attempts to you know two per game more. Uh, he's done that for the first four games, uh, averaging slightly over six three point attempts, making two of them. Um, which is reasonable for him. 32% is not, uh, is, is not atrocious. He's getting, well, for him, uh, he's getting to the line more, uh, which is going to add easy points as the, as the clock stops. Uh, and, and overall right now, as we speak, is averaging a triple-double. I mean, he's, it's, it's been, I can't think of a better word than bananas. Like, seriously, it's, it's, it's off the charts how, how incredible they've, he's been, uh, and they're winning which is like the icing on the cake. 
What was the what was the run when Durant was injured? When Durant was injured, how many triple doubles did he have in a row? Was it like five or six, something like that? I want to say six, but it was a lot. It was it was something where you thought, you know, same thing that we're seeing now. If he were to be by himself, just what he what could he do? Yeah, and it's I mean it's not gonna change. I mean there's there's nobody on the team. I know Oladipo struggled a little bit to start the year, and uh, maybe he shoulders a little more offensive load as we go into the season. But um, there's there's nobody else on that team who's gonna you know jump a level and sort of demand a greater share of the offense. Like this is this is Westbrook's show all year. I mean, uh, Cantor is the is the threat uh, when they go to the bench. Um, and and uh, you know, like I said, Oladipo's there if they need him. But I, I mean, the, I don't expect any of this to change. He he might get tired. He might need to rest. He might need to dial back the intensity a little bit to to keep himself going through the whole year. But uh, I don't think the context for this team is going to change at all. And it's not uncomfortable minutes too. Like it's not like he's playing forty two, forty three minutes per game. Thirty seven minutes at his age right now. Twenty seven. He's in his going to be twenty eight. He is by he literally probably is in a peak of his physical prime. Thirty seven minutes is not a lot for for this this out, output. It's it really is unbelievable. Twenty nine shot attempts is a lot. Shooting forty six percent, getting to the free throw line, dominating the ball, and kind of you know Oladipo's got to figure out a way to to integrate that in, you know into it a little bit more if they're going to be really you know seriously considered for you know a, a top four or five seed, even maybe a little bit higher. But he's he's playing at a level right now where they they can be discussed as one of the teams in the West. Maybe not maybe not completely at the end of the year, but for now, you know, they are a serious, serious threat in the West. Yeah, and we'll obviously we're recording this Thursday morning, so we'll uh, we'll get a look at Westbrook and uh, against the Warriors tonight, and that'll probably clarify the picture quite a bit uh, as far as where they stand relative to to some of the other good teams. But the other thing that's really interesting is he's been pretty efficient. Like it's not just sort of an empty triple double. Um, his true shooting percentage so far is fifty five point four percent, which is the same as last year, which is a career high. Um, and his uh, his usage has jumped, so he's using twelve extra percent uh, of the Thunder's offensive possessions beyond what he did last year, and that doesn't include assists. That's just field goal attempts, turnovers, free throws. Um, and he's maintained the same level of efficiency. That's I mean that's absurd defensively they're getting it done too uh, as a team and and he is if you're talking about two-way players i you have to put him ahead of curry because he's a better i think he's a better defender um you know curry's well listen we'll we'll know for sure no more tonight about it um but overall they're winning games a lot has to do certainly with his production um but plus minus differential of of plus seven uh in in the four games you know they're not averaging 120 points. They're only at about 104, 103 and a half. Um, quickly three zero against the conference, but as a whole, looks like they're they're really coming together as a group with with that you know the the, the alpha dog just you know carrying them forward. Tonight, I agree with you. Tonight's going to tell them uh, to tell us a lot about him, where they are, and even where Golden State is. Like I, like this is this is a game that you know this is must see TV. This is appointment television tonight. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, the Thunder may be playing better than people expected. The Warriors may be playing a little worse than people expected. And, uh, and we'll get to see, 
you know, I know Ibaka's gone, but the formula for the Warriors is is maybe not that different than it was uh, last year in the playoffs. And so, um, you know, we'll get to see how that works uh, when Durant's on the other side. The other thing is that trade yesterday, and Ersan Ilyasova for Jeremy Grant. Um, He's sort of head-scratching because they're sending picks to, to Philly for Jeremy Grant uh, along with Ilyasova. Obviously, I don't think Ilyasova's staying in Philly beyond this year. Um, you know, maybe helps them space the floor a little bit. But uh, Grant, you know, long defender, can play the three, can play the four, um, but he can't shoot at all. It seems like sort of doubling down on a strength, you know, and – I was on a, talking to another podcast earlier this morning, and the idea of a Stephen Adams, uh, Jeremy Grant, Andre Roberson, Oladipo, Russell Westbrook lineup, like, <laughs> that's great. Like, there's no shooters in that, in that lineup. Uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of hard to see where, where Grant fits in here. Four offensive rebounders to kick the ball back out to Westbrook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I like Grant. Um, and, uh, ta- again, I mentioned this in the other pod, but the the – the, the Philadelphia 76ers have not really been a functional basketball team. And so maybe the, the idea with Grant is, is that the Thunder see something that they think they can draw out, you know, in their team context, something that he sort of didn't get a chance to do in Philadelphia because they didn't have an offensive or, or defensive structure to sort of help him come along. Um, and maybe he's a guy that Presti had his eye on, you know, going back to the draft. But, uh, yeah, it, it seems like a strange fit. Other early season surprises, at least from a team perspective, we talked about the, the Thunder being 4-0, uh, making a trade with Philly. Uh, for me, I look at the Bulls. Uh, interesting to get your thoughts on, on uh, what we all thought would be a pretty crowded half-court situation. Uh, has quickly turned into a 3-1 record. Uh, they are putting points up. They're putting uh, over 110 points per game up. Uh, playing okay defense, their, their differential is 11-5, which is, which is pretty solid, right? Uh, alongside Cleveland for the best in the conference. Um, your thoughts on the Bulls and, and how they've, um, you know, listen, they're, they're professional players. Dwayne Wade's an all-time great. Rondo is, uh, you know, he, he knows what he can do, and, and he does it really, really well. Um, you know, and there are pieces there that uh, that have been part of a lot of wins. Uh, to me, what's most surprising is how he's, uh, how simply it's it's fit with Jimmy Butler, um, we've heard that it was, you know, it can be a problem sometimes with him. Uh, but early returns after four games has the Bulls looking uh, looking pretty good. Yeah, uh, surprisingly good. I uh, will uh, will take my lumps on uh, expecting them to be a disaster this year, um, too. <laughs> especially offensively. But yeah, it's been good. I mean, and what's worked for them is. Um, they've been, you know, uh, their three point shooting is the thing that sort of everybody's pointing to and Butler's been good. He's made 50% of his threes, uh, and Wade, you know, has been, uh, has been pretty good as well, but it's still a small sample, you know, Wade's what I'm looking right now, five of 12 on the season. So, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if that sort of trickles back, uh, lower as the season goes on, but, uh, uh, you know, Miritich has been good shooting the ball out on the outside. McDermott's been good shooting the ball on the outside, and uh, Isaiah Kanan off the bench has been has been a nice lift too, uh, shooting. And so that's that's really helped them. Um, but a lot of the offense comes from they're getting to the line a ton, uh, and they're uh, leading the league in offensive rebound percentage right now. So when they are uh, when they are missing, they're they're cleaning it up. Um, 
Taj Gibson's been good for that, um, and uh, Robin Lopez as well has made a difference. So they're, you know, they've they've got a, a formula here that seems like it's working. They've got some balance, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's surprising, not at all what I was expecting. It's crazy when you look at the numbers. You can even throw Jimmy Butler in there as well on the offensive rebounding side. Lopez at three point three, Gibson at two point three, Butler at two. Um, you know, that's right there. Those are extra possessions and extra shots. So you don't have to live on threes. This is kind of with Lopez last year with the Knicks. You didn't have to live on threes. If you could get yourself extra possessions off missed shots, um, it, it, it allows for uh, more opportunities at the basket, certainly not three, uh, versus two, but, um, it, it's always a, an advantage to be able to clean up those second shot, those second shot opportunities and, and create more scoring opportunities. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different ways to to have an efficient offense. I mean, ultimately, you need to get the ball in the basket, and being able to you know score efficiently is the is the best way to do it. But all of those other things, you know, help you out. Getting to the free throw line, uh, getting second chance points, you know, protecting the ball, not turning it over. All of those things, um, you know, all of those things really help. They uh, they provide uh, other opportunities, and their defense has been pretty good too. You know, they're they're also uh, have been great on the defensive glass. Uh, they're not fouling at all at the other end. Um, you know, so they, they have a, a top 10 defense as well. I want to get your take on Wade because we talked about this a little bit talking about the all time great shooting guards or at least shooting guards, uh, over the last 30 years or so. And this obviously came up because of the retirement announcement of Ray Allen. I, I think of, you know, Wade is, is a shooting guard to me, but he's almost in his, his own category because he's a different type of player but let's put him in that shooting guard um category with you know reggie miller uh ray allen um i'm trying to think even who, who else could be at that level you kobe. know i think i think kobe's i think you think kobe's above those guys or is he in that is i think that kobe's guy? above those guys i mean I, Me I i recognize the the knocks on kobe the efficiency and the decision making and all that stuff but um i think he's he's probably ahead of of allen and miller and and, and uh even wade i'd say he's probably ahead of wade it's an interesting thing and I, and I read the piece on on nylon calculus about how he was the prototype for kind of these this new age wings. It's, it's strange though, because I always looked at, at Allen throughout the course of his career as one of those pure shooting guards that you just ran a lot of down screen, like pin down curl, you know, he'd find a way to spot at the, at the other side of the floor. If there was a post up on the other side of the floor, pick and roll ball would get kicked to him and he'd be able to knock down shots or attack closeouts. I feel like those skills are diminishing, and I, as I say that, I know Clay Thompson is, is exactly who I'm talking about. Um, I don't think Bradley Beal is that player. Like, I feel like those, I feel like that skill set that Allen had, that Miller had, uh, and, and even maybe Wade to a degree had, is, is not presenting itself in the league as much. But the numbers may be saying it that, that, that it is based off of, or that they are based off of. Um, you know, what those, you know, two guards today really are. It may be a slightly different skill set, but guys are still, you know, doing some of the similar things that Allen did and, and maybe even looking up to him according to, the, to those numbers. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't have any stats on this, but it would be interesting to see 
if such a thing was possible, like the mechanism for a, a created three pointer and how that has changed over time. Um, you know, like you go back to the mid nineties and like the, the Hakeem Olajuwon rockets who made a ton of threes. And a lot of those were just dump it in the post, wait for the double and then kick it out and kind of swing it around. So you had a lot of sort of, uh, you know, guys just kind of standing still around the perimeter. Um, and then Reggie Miller and Ray Allen in his prime and, you know, a handful of other guys in that era, uh, Richard Hamilton, Richard Hamilton, yeah, it was like movement that created threes. You know, maybe the ball was was still at the top of the key, and those guys are just circling around, looping around the baseline and coming off pin downs, and that was the mechanism for three-pointers being created. And it seems like the era that we're in now is a lot more um, – it's a lot more drive and kick and a lot more pick and roll, you know, sort of spotting up in the corner. Um, and I agree, there's there's less of those guys who are sort of continually in motion um, – and and just relentlessly running off screens, running their guy ragged, and and getting their three pointers that way. I mean, it's it's Corver, it's Reddick, it's Clay Thompson, it's you know DeRozan does a lot of that, even though it's inside the arc. Um, but yeah, the, and and the thing with Ray Allen was the argument was that we remember him, you know, Celtics and Heat. We mostly remember him as just a spot up shooter. That that was um, the majority of what he did. But when he was with the Bucks and the Sonics, he was a much more dynamic all around wing player. You know, maybe more like a young uh, Dwayne Wade. He you know he had that three point shot that Wade never had, but. Um, you know, for all the time he spent running off screens, you know, he also was a post-up threat. He would exploit matchups that way, um, you know, created a lot of offense with the ball in his hands, pick and roll, penetrating, you know, pull up in the mid-range um, and and sort of filling out the box score. You know, the young Ray Allen, uh, you know, piled up assists and rebounds and steals. You know, he was a, an open court player, too. And so the that when he was younger, there was a lot more to his game than what we remember just kind of standing in the corner and hitting big shots. As we look at some other uh, surprises, uh, one of the ones that really jumps out at me from a team perspective, Dallas 0-4, they are in a difficult situation. Yeah, uh, I think some of it has to do with schedule. I can look at their schedule too. I know they they lost opening night to – to the Pacers, and I think the Pacers are are not as good as they look. I don't think they're, uh, um, you know, their their two wins are you know uh, barely over the Lakers and barely over the Mavs. But yeah, so the other three Mavs games are you know two losses to the Rockets and a loss to the Jazz. Um, so they've had a really tough schedule to start, but um, it it hasn't looked. It hasn't looked very good. The defense has not been maybe as good as they were expecting with uh, with the addition of Bogut and Barnes. And, you know, Barnes has not been great. Uh, you know, he's doing okay. He's he's averaging, you know, about 18 a game, and the shooting percentages are good. But um, I think, uh, you know, they're, they, they need more from him. They need, um, you know, they really need him to be a, a player on a different tier for them to, to be making the playoffs. And it's interesting to me because I thought Matthews was probably top two or three big free agent uh, players last year. And you realize that he's he's really good and, and limited, almost in a similar way that Courtney Lee is, uh, noticing this with the Knicks now. Matthews can put up big numbers. Um, he does put up a lot of shots. He, he struggled to start the season after coming back which you know, we thought pretty strongly after that really bad Achilles injury. Um, but a player who really needs a lot of 
help and support to be great. And he can be that two guy, but he needs, he needs, I agree with you hundred percent. He needs Barnes to be the one and you have Dirk there. So now you've got your two, three and your four, basically Um, that to me, and that correlated to the Knicks again, that to me is, is really where it's hard to mix and match and, and create the right formula between those players. It's, it, I really haven't put much thought into it. I've watched it a lot recently, certainly at the three and four position with Porzingis and Mello. But what do you like? What do you think about when you think about great combinations at the two, three, and four? One and five is pretty easy. One and four is pretty easy. Like if you have a really good distributing point guard who can create. But then you have to have if your creation comes through your two, three, and four is basically what I'm saying. What do you look for to to create that sort of great combination? You, ca- I mean, I I would suppose it's versatility. So, I mean, on paper, I think the Mavericks have a really nice two three four combo. Obviously, Dirk's a little bit older. Uh, obviously, Barnes's you know creation abilities are still sort of uh, uh, under question. Um, but I think that they on paper, it's not a bad look. I mean. Dirk can facilitate from the elbow. Dirk can work in the post. Both Matthews and Barnes can spot up. Uh, Matthews has a nice post game. He doesn't get the chance to use that very much uh, in Dallas, um, especially because, you know, Darren Williams will sometimes try and take a smaller player down in the post. And Barnes has a little bit of a post game. So if anything, that's probably going to get squeezed out more um, this year. But, uh, you know, Matthews is not an off the dribble guy, but he he can contribute in some other ways, and and all three of those guys can shoot. Um, so I think really, you know, the, the linchpin to whether that that group can sort of lead them back to the playoffs is whether Barnes can become something of an off ball or an on ball uh, shot creator, um, whether he can run some pick and roll and score for himself, because um, they're not quite there. You know, Darren Williams, you know, they don't want to have to rely on him too much. You know, Bogut's not going to give them anything on offense except some sharp passing. Um, And when they go to the bench, you know, Seth Curry has not looked great. Devin Harris has been hurt. You know, Berea is what he is. Um, You know, Justin Anderson has been great, brings a lot of energy, but he's not, you know, he's not single-handedly creating much offense. So um, I think, I think really it comes down to Barnes and, and, you know, how good he can be. Um, And if, if he can't, be that good you know if he is what he is um and there's not really another level for him i think the mavericks can survive but the path forward then is being in a really good defensive team um and that means minimizing dirk's minutes and that means you know getting more out of bogut and matthews and and um you know darren williams kind of staying healthy too i i i haven't got a chance to watch much on them but in my mind i'm thinking to myself there has to be a lot of redundancies between Dirk and Barnes you know I don't think Barnes is necessarily the post player the pinch post player that Dirk is I don't know if Dirk feels real comfortable about just sitting out and hanging out around the three-point line I'm sure he can shoot but I like you know he's much more effective and comfortable I feel like having the ball in his hands early on and kind of making the decisions it to me that's the combination that you know is is really one um that 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 has to figure itself out at that three four it, 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 for the apples to apples comparison, maybe it's not directly, but like, you know, like we were just talking about with the Bulls, Jimmy Butler, you know, can play the three. Who's his perfect pair? Like, you know, it seems like he and Wade are quick, are clicking at the two, three. 
and then the four is you know is whomever. It's it, it's finding that combination uh, and having Barnes you know maybe elevate himself to a Butler level. To your point, is what's going to ne- going to be necessary for them to, to even have it work, uh, which is a big gamble if, if you know talking about um, if he can get to Butler's level because I I think we both agree he's he's not that good. Yeah, I don't think he's as good off the dribble as Butler is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think ideally if they could get a little more creation out of Williams and Matthews off the dribble, um, I mean, that sort of sets Barnes and and Dirk up a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I think Barnes, where he is now, probably works better as a, as a compliment to somebody else. And not probably, definitely works better as a compliment to somebody else. I mean, even if he's, you know, a leap ahead of where he was in Golden State, um, they can't be counting on him for everything. Um, you know, ironically, uh, Chandler Parsons would probably solve a lot of these problems, yeah. <laughs> you know, if he was healthy. I mean, that's um, not nearly as good a defender as Barnes was, but, but you know, the, the offensive player that Parsons was, that's probably uh, the perfect fit in between Dirk and Matthews. And that's probably sort of what lay, what they would like Barnes to become, you know, somebody who can shoot, somebody who can play make a little bit and somebody who, you know, can slide up and down positions. That's a great point. I totally agree. And, and uh, Parsons is hurt. Uh, and early in the year, you know, having those injuries, you know, can, can kind of get you behind the eight ball early on. Uh, the, the first one that jumps out to me uh, in Boston, uh, Marcus Smart still uh, battling, uh, I believe, an ankle or a knee, and uh, just heard yesterday, uh, just happened yesterday, uh, that or the other day, uh, depending on when this drops. Um, Jay Crowder will be si- will be sidelined. Uh, two really important players for what the Celtics are trying to do. We were just talking about the two, three, four position. Those guys can can really not only play but guard those three positions, which really adds a lot to what uh, Brad Stevens wants to do, uh, both offensively and defensively. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's happening in Boston and, and, and other uh, names? Ricky Rubio, uh, your guy Rodney Stuckey, a couple of uh, injuries early on that uh, that, that have have had uh, impact. Well, the Pacers Stuckey is actually probably not a bad thing. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that sounds horrible. I certainly don't want anybody to get hurt. But in terms of uh, how that team is playing, uh, taking Stuckey out of the equation and giving more minutes to giving those minutes to somebody who's more of a shooter, CJ Miles or or uh, Aaron Brooks or Joe Young, I think, uh, or even Glenn Robinson, I think that probably uh, gives the Pacers' offense a little juice because um, they, you know, like I was alluding to, they're two and two, but their two wins are barely over Dallas and barely over the Lakers. So um, you know, they could just as easily have started 0-4, and, and, and uh, their defense looks terrible. So I think they have a lot of questions to work out. Um, yeah, Boston has not looked as good as I thought. It's been more of an, it's more of sort of, sort of an uneven start. Avery Bradley's been, been really, really good. But um, it still seems like they're kind of feeling their way through. Um, you know, that first game against the Bulls, uh, they, they had a hard time in crunch time. Uh, they let the Nets back into a game in the fourth quarter. Um, so it seems like they're sort of still kind of figuring out what the pecking order is, how they're going to attack certain situations. Um, and that's one of the challenges with a team like that that's so deep, has so many different pieces, so much versatility. Uh, it's figuring out, you know, what are your lineups that work in certain situations? What are the sets? we're going to use you know what are what are what are going to be our go-to um 
at plays in, in certain situations. Um, and it takes a little while to get that all worked out. I think they'll be fine, but, but it definitely seems like they're kind of fumbling around a little bit at the beginning to, to find their rhythm and, and sort of fit everybody into the right roles. How about Rubio with a guy we talked about a lot, um, kind of a make or break year under Thibodeau. We, we, we felt, uh, at least I did, um, it, tough start there. Um, and, uh, you know, his future was already really pretty cloudy and, and having injuries or an injury, um, certainly doesn't do anything to clarify that for him. It may for, uh, for Thibodeau and the organization. Um, but, but your thoughts on, on Rubio early. I think it's really unfortunate. I mean, I know some people are chopping at the bit for him to get traded and to open that spot up for Dunn. I think the wolves are better off with Rubio. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine something on the trade market that makes them better this year than having Rubio in the, uh, you know, in the rotation. And even if we're looking forward, um, I'm not convinced the Wolves are a playoff team this year. Even before the season started, I wouldn't have guessed that they were a playoff team. Um, so if they're going to be in the lottery again, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to get a, a you know a top five pick for Rubio. That seems crazy. So you know th- they're going to add another good young player next year in the draft probably. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the trade for Rubio uh, doesn't seem like a good idea short term. And if the idea is just to sort of create more of an opportunity for Dunn, you know, he's he's ready and he's been good. But but I don't I don't see like there, it doesn't seem like there's any harm to letting him be a backup, letting him play 20, 25 minutes off the bench, backing up both guard spots, you know, letting him learn from Rubio. It's it, you know, it doesn't strike me as like a quarterback controversy kind of situation where. Um, you know, where Dunn is wasting away behind Rubio. It seems like it's um, seems like it's a better situation having them both together. You can follow him on Twitter at Hickory High. Oh, and actually, you know what? We haven't talked enough at all, really, uh, about the step back. Uh, what's uh, what's happening at the step back, uh, and uh, how's everything going? Looks great, uh, great content. Um, talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, thanks. So uh, Step Back, um, new vertical. We launched at Fansided just before the season started. Um, the past couple of years, we've had the, the Hardwood Paroxysm Basketball Network, which I've helped run, and it's four sites, and they've each sort of had their own niche and um, loved the content we were doing. Fansided was happy with it and, and uh, loved what we were doing, but sort of felt like we were um, – you know, a self-defeating structure by having it spread out across four different sites. And so uh, we decided we're going to roll it all up into one big vertical and we're going to put it on our on our homepage and, and uh, hopefully more people get to see it and interact with the stuff there. So, um, you know, it's all the it's all the same voices uh, from the previous network. So we've got Nylon Calculus people doing stat stuff. Um, we've got, you know, f- funny features on players off the court. We've brought our podcast along with us. We've got in-depth, you know, video breakdowns and all that stuff. Um, we've got a little more resources. So we can bring in some new voices. We've got, uh, Howard Megdahl wrote something for us this week and Jared Dubin's going to do a weekly column for us. Um, got something coming from, uh, Surratt. So uh, in a few weeks, um, so we're, yeah, we're really excited about, uh, uh, about where it's going to go and um you know it's it's uh it's big our content stream is broad we're covering a lot of bases but the idea is basically you know everybody has something different that they obsess about when it comes to basketball whether it's you know stats or x's and o's or player personalities um 
and so we're just going to try and uh, we're going to try and meet you at whatever your whatever your obsessive niche is about basketball. We're going to try and be right there with you. Well, keep up the great work. It's great stuff. Again, follow Ian at Hickory High. You can follow me at Thomas CD. We really appreciate, as always, everybody downloading, whether it's on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, or Stitcher. Uh, be sure to uh, to tell a friend and share uh, as we keep uh, rolling these out as the season goes along. Hey, enjoy uh, enjoy the Thunder Golden State game tonight, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Thanks a lot, Tommy. Talk to you soon. You got it.